If you have been worshiping uh, here at Houston First Church during the month of August, uh, you are quite aware that we have been in the middle, uh, well, beginning, middle, and now ending, of a series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and in fact, if you're not aware of that, maybe this is your first Sunday, you were wondering about these uh, displays here with these ancient words that we uh, just sang about uh, so, so beautifully. Uh, we've been in the middle of this Lord's Prayer series. And we've been thinking about and preaching about and listening to others preach and teach us through song and through sermon about these words, these ancient words that Christ our Lord has given us to know how to pray, to use in our own prayer life, to make a difference in the way that we are pursuing Christ-likeness in every way. You look at the board and you see words like hallowed, kingdom, bread, well, let's just linger on bread there for just a minute. It is approaching the bread time hour, isn't it? Pretty soon here. Forgiveness and debts. You flip over here and you continue with it. You, you see words like deliverance, temptation even before that. And then there's that, that kingdom word again, power and glory and the word amen. Uh, we've had a tremendous outpouring of the word to us through our pastoral staff here. I've heard three of the four sermons, and I can tell you three of the four were good, right? I'm sure four of the four were good. I just didn't hear the fourth one, and I don't want to mislead anybody this morning. And in fact, the fourth one that I did not hear, we were out of town, I read and heard quite a bit on Facebook about it, and people kind of probing uh, around the word kingdom and around the topic of kingdom. And so, without a doubt, it made a difference not just in that day, but throughout the week and even beyond that in the life of this congregation. So, truly four out of four sermons have been good. Pastor Matt, Pastor Gary, and Pastor Michelle have focused on the Sermon on the Mount as their text for the Lord's Prayer. I, I this morning, am going to kind of wrap up. I'm not going to re-preach these words or the things that they've preached because they've taken a particular focus line by line, sometimes word by word, to kind of pull out everything that's kind of hidden, if you will, or lying underneath the surface of the text to help us think more deeply about the Word of God, and that is a great way to teach and learn and grow and mature in our faith, to take the Word of God verse by verse, word by word, thought by thought, and allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of our hearts, inside of our minds, inside of our, our whole being, to pull the truth of the Word of God, not just from the surface and, and maybe just to, to the surface of our heart, but deep, deep, deep within us. If we want to get deep, God wants to get deep. If we want to give God deep access to our life, we have to deeply study the Word of God and deeply pray in ways that honor God and in ways that allow God and the Holy Spirit to work within us. I, I hope that the sermons that have, you've heard preached, three out of four, four out of four, one out of four, whatever they would be, have begun to bring questions to your mind. Because as a preacher for 16 or 17 years, my hope always was not that they would remember a story that I told or, or, or maybe a quote that I gave them, but that somewhere in the course of that day or in the week that would come ahead, that questions would begin to come to the surface of their spirit, of their heart, of their mind, to, to begin to allow to, to ask, is this true of me? Is this the way I, I view it? So I hope that in this sermon series, there's been questions that's begun to occur in your mind and in your heart as, as the days 
followed the sermon that you heard you witnessed to. I, I hope you begin to ask questions like, do I really believe in prayer? Well, most of us would say, that's silly. I've been in Nazarene all my life. Of course I believe in prayer. You can't be here if you don't belong in prayer. That's actually not a rule, but it probably should be. But beyond just our kind of terse belief or practice of praying, you know, God is great, God is good, before we eat, do we really believe in prayers? Does prayer matter? Does it change things? Am I committed to praying? Not just during the church service, or not just reciting the Lord's Prayer before I get in my car and try to make it through Houston traffic to work or to school, but am I committed to praying, being a person of prayer, participating in a congregation that places prayer as a priority to their life together, doing life together? Do I live a life of prayer? Wow. Maybe not just wow, but wow and ouch. Not do I live a life of prayer when I'm in the company of those who know that I belong to the church or that I confess to be a Christian, but is my life a living prayer always and forever? When I pray, what am I praying about and who am I praying for? And maybe more importantly to start, who am I praying to? You know that sometimes we can pray a prayer that if we're not really thinking about it, if we're not really focused in on what we're praying, is really more directed towards our own self-reliance and abilities to solve a situation or an issue in our life, or maybe our spouses or maybe our bosses. You can pray that prayer, and even though you may use godly words, it really, all of the weight of the prayer is dependent upon so-and-so to act or the boss to act or someone else to act and not for God to act. So when we pray, when I pray, who am I praying to? What am I praying about and what am I praying for? What are my prayers usually about? I'll just let that one sit with you for a little while. Because probably at the surface of that question, we, we probably don't have a good answer, but if we ask ourselves that just a few times, maybe over the course of a few days, I believe the Holy Spirit will begin to say, you know, you're always praying about this issue, or this want, or this desire. Maybe there's some other things you could move on to pray about. And directly or indirectly, maybe that want, desire, or need might get answered through some other prayer that you've prayed and way that you've approached the issue. What do I pray about most often? And maybe, here's a good question to ask. Will my life be different if I become serious about praying? Ooh, maybe after a series on the Lord's prayer, we could ask such a bold question. Would my life change at all if I got serious, became committed to, really began to practice and believe in the words that Christ has given us to pray, if I really got serious about praying in this way for the things that were important to Christ, in the things that Christ put before his disciples and for the Pharisees and all those of you that, that liked him and disliked him, if we got serious about getting in concert with the way Christ taught his disciples to pray, would it make a difference in our life, in our family, in our church? We ask ourselves these questions, and maybe we could add to this tenfold of other questions, and the Holy Spirit begins to, to question us and question our mind about the way that we pray or the way that we don't pray. 
Maybe the Holy Spirit says, why don't you pray? Why is prayer not more important to you? Maybe just a one-word question that we all love, why? Now, if we're asked that by a boss or a spouse or a colleague or a friend, we sometimes are able to kind of take back control of the conversation and offer an excuse or offer a reason or offer some type of evidence that what we're being accused of or feel like we're being accused of isn't really the case. But when the Holy Spirit asks us that question, we're kind of on the spot. It's, it's a moment of real honesty. Or real denial and rebellion. I guess there's two choices there. Why? I, I, I hope these, these questions and over these weeks of preaching through these ancient words that speak and penetrate places in our heart and life, I hope you've begun to ask questions deep within you so that your life, not that you would just be better prayers, but that prayer would be more important to you and make a difference in who you are, who you are in Christ, most importantly. You see, questions kind of operate like going to see the eye doctor. I actually went to the eye doctor this week, and it's always a pleasant experience. When we go to the eye doctor, we typically still can see, but there may be some blurry vision, or maybe we're having trouble reading just a little bit, different from the last year or the last time that we went, or maybe we need new glasses or new contacts. Maybe we go for a variety of reasons to the eye doctor. Maybe just the insurance says it's time to go. I don't know. But usually when we go, we can still see pretty good, or at least a little bit. But there's something that we need the eye doctor to help us figure out how we can see better. Sometimes we don't know that we can't see until the eye doctor shares with us, you can't see. <laughs> you shouldn't be driving. <laughs> and then we get all serious and concerned about the thing the doctor is telling us. We begin to, to work with the doctor to figure out how we become better at seeing so that other areas of life may remain in good quality and in a good place. Why, while the doctor will ask us and present to us the, the eye chart and we'll be, begin reading lines, and I hope everyone can see all of these. I tried to make it as big so no one would go away thinking they needed to go to the eye doctor this morning. As we're looking at the chart and we're reading back the letters and sometimes we, we guess and that they know that we're guessing, and so they're flipping the chart back and forth to kind of keep us guessing. We know that they're also shining lights and having us follow their finger over here, and so it's not just can you read this board and produce back the letters or the numbers that are on this board, but what's light, how does light affect you over here, and can you see this over there, and let me blow some air into your eyeball and see if that makes you blink. It usually does. There's a variety of things taking place. Well, here's how... I think questions operate in our spirituality and, and more specifically this morning about our, our prayer life. Questions begin to probe deep within us. And, and even though we think we see clearly how prayer fits into our life and the place of importance for prayer should be, it's the Holy Spirit that begins to put the chart before us or shine lights over here and ask us, can we see this? And puff the little air into our eyes and say, does that affect you in any way? It's, it's the way that questions work within our spirit and soul to help us then be, begin to identify, is the Word of God truly being expressed and truly being, being real in my life, or am I a part of this big drama that dresses up and presents itself on Sundays and then struggles for the rest of the week to get back 
to hear those ancient words, to sing those ancient words, maybe to say those ancient words one more time in the safe company of brothers and sisters in Christ. And all the while, the Spirit is speaking to us saying, I have not called you to struggle and be defeated and live in fear and fail in your faith, but I have called you to be what I've created you to become, follower of Christ, one deeply devoted and dependent upon the power of God for living and loving, one who is greater than the one in this world, for the Spirit of God is deep within our soul. And unless we allow the Spirit to speak within our heart, specifically sometimes around our prayer life, we are able to fool God, fool ourselves, fool our spouse, fool our pastor. I've been fooled a lot as a pastor over the years. But no one fools God. So as we've looked over these last few weeks at the Sermon on the Mount's version or, or, or placement of the Lord's Prayer, I want to shift this just a bit this morning and, and really give, instead of a word-for-word -word exchange of what Jesus might have meant, I, I want to talk about prayer in the Gospel. And, and, I, and I want to show, I want to, I want to express to you that, that prayer was, is not something that's taught in every chapter. Jesus doesn't give us a, a prayer in every chapter or even every Gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. The prayer is an underlying element of everything that Jesus is doing. The Gospel writers do not give exhausted accounts on what or how to pray because the stories are rooted in the life of Jesus who lived prayerfully and acted with clarity and discernment in life, ministry, and faithfulness always to the will of God. And if our questions revolve around, well, well what does this say, and, and all we have to do is memorize this and become experts at this, we miss out on a, a greater story that's taking place with prayer throughout all of the gospel accounts. I want to focus this morning a little bit on, on Luke's account of prayer and the way he uses prayer to set up the Lord's Prayer, if you will, in Luke chapter 11. At Luke chapter 5, we begin by looking at a story where Jesus is, is with the Pharisees and the scribes, and they're grumbling about his disciples. I love the word grumble. Sometimes I use it frequently in raising children, and sometimes I suspect they use it frequently in talking about their dad to their friends. I think it works both ways. But I love that the word grumble is in Scripture especially when it, it comes about the Pharisees talking about Jesus or upset about the things Jesus is doing. And, and they're asking a question here. Remember, questions are important to help us find the truth deep within us, what's important to us, and how certain things matter to us in faith. They're asking questions about the importance of prayer in the life of Jesus' disciples. And really what they're saying is, Jesus, does prayer really matter to you? Jesus would often go away and pray. We find that throughout all of, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He would go away and pray, often alone, often at times of the day when other people are eating or sleeping or working or doing something else. Jesus has slipped away in the private of the moment and prayed by himself or sometimes with just a small group of others. So the Pharisees did not see him standing on the corner praying, did not see him doing the things that that would alert the people in the temple or in the, the courtyards. Oh, this Jesus can really pray it down. So they're grumbling now and asking questions about his prayer life, and, and they're going about it by saying, 
Why don't you have your disciples pray and fast? John the Baptist and other great religious teachers of our day, they demand that their disciples pray and fast and even pray exactly like they have been taught to pray by either John or by the religious leader of the day. Jesus, why don't you do this? Why aren't your disciples invested and interested and committed to being people of prayer? Jesus almost never answers the question directly that the Pharisees give back to him. He speaks straight to the heart of the matter. And what he gives to them, I'm not certain that even now they get or what he actually was saying. But what he said to them was, well, when the bridegroom is here, it's not time to pray and fast. It's time to celebrate. It's time to have a wedding. It's time to live in joy and be happy on the occasion that a wedding is taking place. Pharisees, the, the response to the Pharisees is not recorded here, but I think it probably went something like this. What is wrong with him? We're not talking about weddings or brides or bridegrooms or dresses or cakes or anything like that. We just want to know why your disciples don't pray and fast. And here's, here's really where it's important to us. What they're really asking is, why aren't your disciples praying and fasting like us? We pray and fast. We're devout. Everybody sees us pray. Jesus does not scold them, does not attack them, does not lay the wood to them. He just says, the bridegroom is here. Don't worry about the things that you would do in the absence, but celebrate in the victory, celebrate in the moment, in the truth, in the reality that all of the prayers of Jerusalem, of Israel for ages and ages and ages has been answered in my life and in my ministry and will be answered with authority in my death and resurrection. It is not time to pray and fast. It's time to recognize that prayers have been answered from your ancestors that you didn't even know would ever be answered. You just thought, well, I'll just keep on praying and praying and praying and this is how things are supposed to be. Jesus says, stop praying. Recognize whose presence you're in. Questions of prayer. Why don't your disciples pray and fast? In Luke chapter 9, Jesus is praying with his disciples and indicates that they're, they're alone somewhere. As they're praying, Jesus has kind of a moment where he seems to stop his praying. And he says, well, who do the crowds say that I am? Now, again, I, I'm not sure we can, with clarity and with certainty, say this is exactly how it happened. But it seems to me that Jesus is praying, and while he's praying, all of a sudden he just stops and says, Hey, who do people say that I am? What are the crowds saying? So it's something that's on his mind, something that probably had happened just recently. He had heard crowds saying, and they, maybe they were saying, This guy is... He's evil Knievel, or he's, he's someone special or spectacular. And, and Jesus is wanting his disciples to give back what they have heard and maybe even what they've said about him. And they begin to say, Elijah, Moses, maybe even John the Baptist. Jesus is asking in his prayer, who do they say that I am? Questions. Diving deep. Exploring the heart of his disciples to figure out, do they even know? Well, of course, they have a suspicion, and at least one of them is bold enough to take a suspicion and attempt to say it's a conviction. And he says, you're the Christ, the Messiah. 
You're the hope of Israel. And Jesus says, yes, exactly. That's exactly who I am. You know who I am. And this comes not in a sermon, not in a song, not on a test at, at the synagogue, but out of a time of prayer. Praying about what the Pharisees thought and wondered about praying. Praying about who the crowds say that he was. And then we come to Luke chapter 11 where Jesus is again, had been traveling, had been in Mary and Martha's home right before this. He says Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, do you get that? In Luke 5, the Pharisees say, why do your disciples not pray and fast like John's disciples or like other Pharisee disciples of Pharisees do? And now, six chapters go by and these disciples actually go, you know what, maybe it's not a bad idea, Jesus, that you teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. I'm struck by, by the words there that Jesus answers when he says, and he said to them, when you pray. Could have said, if you pray, right? Could have said, on occasions of prayer. He might have even said, uh, uh, if someone prays. But the assumption there is, that prayer is going to be taking place in the life of his disciples. So when you pray, pray like this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sin. For we for ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now I think it was Pastor Matt that shared how certain Pharisee leaders would have prayers and all of their disciples would pray that prayer and you may be identified as a disciple of a certain pharisee or a certain religious leader if you prayed that prayer as soon as that prayer was prayed they go oh that's billy's disciple oh that's eric's disciple oh that's cindy's disciple they, they would know based on the very words and maybe even sometimes the cadence that you would pray the prayer and so they say Lord, teach us to pray, and Jesus says, well, when you pray, pray like this. And I, I would imagine that some of the disciples were taking notes like it's the first day of school, and they're cramming for a trigonometry test. They're just, just writing it down. Now, of course, I know in that day and time they actually didn't write. They memorized, but bear with me here. They're really getting the meat and the content of what he's telling them because there's somewhere within them this belief that if we say just the right thing and pray just the right way, then our prayer will be perfect. And if not perfect, it'll at least be pretty good. And I suspect that sometimes, whether we realize it or not, we have the same thought. We pray the right thing at the right time, in the right place, wearing the right clothes, the right time of day, after eating the right meal, then our prayer will be perfect. Our prayer will be exactly the type of thing that God will say, yes, I will answer every bit and piece of this. I'll give them exactly what they have asked for. No questions. Send it out. But I don't believe that for a minute is what Jesus is trying to get across here. If it was, I think the very next words he would have shared after these four or five lines here, he would have said, Now, when you pray, 
pray exactly like this. You, you have to be wearing the same color cloak that I'm wearing, and it has to be when you're only in groups of two, and it's on certain day. He would have given more specific recommendations or, 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 or instructions on how they were to go about in, in organizing these words to pray. But he moves on to tell some very interesting stories that I hear used often in talking about prayer. In Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. And I want to read this. He says, And he said to them, Which of you as a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is not shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Jesus said, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Can I tell you something this morning? I think those few verses are the key to understand what Jesus is trying to tell us about these few verses that we call the Lord's Prayer. And this is what I mean by that. Jesus, when he has the attention of his disciples, he takes the weight off of the words or the lines or the harmony of the things they're going to say and ask of God, and he points back the power, the authority, the need the workings of things together all back on God. And he says, our Father is like one who will not get up and give you something in the middle of the night just because it's convenient. But because of your persistence, he'll be reminded of the pain and the hurt and the fear and the hunger that's deep within you. And he will act. Our Father will be listening as you are asking and seeking and knocking. And will be aware that, that when it finally gets through your head and through your heart that He is your only hope. He is the one that can answer your prayers. He is the one that can change your life. He is the one that can provide the very things that, that makes your life worth living. When you ask, when you seek, when you knock, you will be heard and found and blessed. And maybe more importantly, know this, that your Father knows how to give good gifts. He doesn't give snakes for fish or scorpions for eggs. If I wanted to be clever, I could figure out the, the current translation of that, but just understand it, saying God doesn't give junk or bad things or devastating things in exchange for the good things we've asked, we've asked of Him. He is our Father. He is all-knowing, all-doing. And in his all-knowing and all-doing, he does those things and knows those things based out of the, the center of his holy love. And when he acts, it's never in retribution of, of our faith or our, even our failures. 
It's never because we have done something to earn it. It's always because He loved us even in our sin. And He acts to give good gifts, just like a father or a mother or a friend that we know here that we think gives good gifts. They can't touch the good-giving gift of our Father in heaven. And Jesus is reminding His disciples, He's reminding us of these things. those, Those last words, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, and how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, in this writing, in in our modern translations, that's an emphatic statement. It doesn't need to be answered. But I think it would be just as easy for us to put a question mark at the end instead of the exclamation mark there. And ask if Jesus is asking us a question. If you are evil, know how to give good gifts and and know how to do some good things for some people, how much more do you think God our Father can act in such a way? And not just for other people, think of yourself. Think about how good and great and awesome God can be and the things He can do in your life to change it even better than you can ask or dream or hope for. Now, don't hear me saying in any way that all we now have to do is formulate the list of things we want from God and demand from God, and because He's good and knows how to give good gifts, He's going to perform and pay up just at the right time. not what I'm saying. And that's not what the gospel is trying to present to us. It's trying to say to us that as we pray the right words and in the right ways and linger and think on the things that are important to God, always remember and always root your prayers in the belief that God is the only one worth praying to. God's the only one worth hoping that our prayers would be heard or answered in. God is the only one who can take our prayers as weak and meager as they are and mold them and shape them and make them into the very things that He's wanting to say and do in our lives. Sometimes the very things that we ask and request of God are the exact opposite of what God really wants to do for us. And in faith, we should be quite okay with that. Because remember, our God knows how to give good gifts. Answer prayers in good ways. Work things all together for the good of Him who has created us. Well, the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11 One more piece I think that we need to look at here. Again, back where they were in that certain place. And he he puts the weight of when you pray. The words before that, though, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to know how to pray. We don't want to be average disciples. We don't want to be disciples who sometimes have the ability to perform miracles because you've given us the power momentarily and and sometimes we don't. We want to be disciples who are good at our job. We want to be effective. And we believe that prayer is important to that. Lord, teach us to pray because we've come to a place where we realize we really don't know how to pray. Or at least they're not working for us. And Lord, we, we're not really asking that you would make us disciples like John the Baptist or other Pharisees. We truly want to be your disciples. Because of that, Not only do, Lord, we want you to teach us how to live and teach us how to serve others and teach us how to be holy and teach us 
how to do the things you've gifted us to do, but Lord, we want you to teach us how to pray. And he gives these words. Let's read these words together this morning, the Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Amen, you've done good. You've listened close. Lord, teach us to pray with a conviction that you alone are sovereign. Lord, teach us to pray with a living hope for your kingdom to come in our lives, our family, our church, and our world. Lord, teach us to pray with a continual dependence on your grace and mercy for living. Lord, teach us to pray with an honesty about our sin and sinfulness in relation to you and to our brothers and sisters. Lord, teach us to pray with a desire to live holy in word, thought, and deed, in faith, hope, and love. I think that's maybe what the disciples might have been implying when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And if they weren't implying it, those are the very things that Jesus is teaching when he gave these words, whether it's Matthew's account or Luke's account. That we would believe in the absolute sovereignty of God, that we would be serious about the effects and the mar of sin in our life and in our world and in our relationships. That we would pursue the faith, hope, and love that only comes by, by believing in and following in Christ Jesus. That, that we would be taught to pray in a way that keeps us living dependently, not just Sunday to Sunday, but every day of the week, every moment, every choice, every decision, everything dependent upon the power of God, the working of God in our life, and with a desire to live holy. For He, our Lord, who created us and called us and redeemed us, is holy. Great quote on prayer. Prayer is... Surrender. Surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. The question that the Holy Spirit asks of us and calls out deep within us as we listen to sermons or as we study scripture or as we harmonize themes and stories of prayer in the gospel are not meant to draw God in a way that's close to us. We're pulling him from heaven or from wherever towards us. But these questions, these choices, this calling of God, it's calling us closer to him, drawing us into his heart and into his will and into his way. I, I want to, I, I guess, wrap up this series with kind of some practical things. I, I tend to think that in all of the sermons there was elements of practicality. But I want to be almost elementary this morning with some things on prayer. And, and, and I want to speak about the way that we are teaching others and the way that we're being taught to pray. Not 
Lord teach us or Don teach us, but, but here's, some, here's some things, maybe tips on prayer. When it comes to children, for a parent or a grandparent or just someone who's involved in, in the spiritual development and well-being of a child, involve them. Don't pray at them. Don't tell them you'll pray for them today. Involve them in the prayer. Pray for them right in their presence. Have them pray the words that you pray. Not that your words are worth Matthew or Luke writing in there next to Jesus' words. Mine neither. But, but teaching our kids to pray by praying a line and having them repeat it after us. It's the way we teach them to pray. By the way, if we don't teach them to pray in good godly ways that are consistent with the ways the Bible teach, they'll learn prayers from magazines, books, movies, except songs, etc., etc. And I prefer the former to the latter in that scenario. Teach kids to pray by asking them to repeat your prayer until they are able by their own growth and development, to pray their own prayers and then applaud them, amen them, and learn to pray like them because children know how to pray once we give them permission. When it comes to students, not just involve them, but involve technology. Find out ways to use technology for the good instead of for the bad. Some of our, our students are sitting here, and I would just challenge you guys, Technology, and you are warned about this by parents in school and by all kinds of PR groups that there's things about technology and the web and texting and all those things that are dangerous. I challenge you to figure out ways to use it for the good of God. Find ways to use it for God to grow deep within you and maybe even within your friends. Use technology for the good. And parents, if there's, if there's things out there that are Christ-oriented, centered things that have a technological application, fund that because they will use that differently than things we used when we were their age. Adults, big people. Not just involve them, not just involve technology, but involve the body, mind, and spirit. That sounds like a YMCA commercial, but um, it's not. Find ways to, to pray using body, mind, and spirit. Some in this very room probably do their best praying when they're walking or running or moving. And not just, Lord, don't help me die out here in this heat as I run. <laughs> but getting going. Involve the mind by reading good prayers written by people who were spiritual giants in our life. If you don't know of such a resource, Pastor Matt, Pastor Michelle, Pastor Garen, Pastor Don, any, any mature Christian can probably point you to some of the great classics of, of prayers that you can read and even pray right after them, just like we teach our children to pray. Find great praying people of the past whose prayers have been recorded and written down and pray those prayers and the Holy Spirit will begin to teach you to pray in such a deep and meaningful way. Involve the mind. And involve the spirit. When you're singing songs that, that move you, move us, don't just let the melody of the music or the, the beauty of the band move your spirit. Talk to God. You don't have to necessarily use words. Sometimes it's an internal talking to God. Lord, let this be true in my life. Ancient words, Lord, let your word, that, the words that are ancient, 
but they are also eternal. Let them be true and let them be the prevailing words in all of my life, body, mind, spirit. And if you're one who likes to have your spirituality or your prayer all rooted in one of those more than the other two, I challenge you to explore and use the other two in other times of your life so that you're not in a rut, so that you only know how to pray when you're running or you only know how to read people's prayers or you only know how to pray during singing. Do the other things and allow God to work within your heart to teach you and deepen your prayer life. And now some symbolic action. If you have a prayer card that was in your, your worship folder this morning, I, I had asked Mary and Melissa to do it a little different than what we have done uh, in the past here. And on the back of your prayer card are the words to the Lord's Prayer. The, uh, the musicians are going to come in a few moments and sing a closing song for us. Here's what I'd like for us to do. I, I, I asked them to leave space between each of the lines. Okay? This is a practical application of prayer kind of in a couple ways. I'd like to challenge you that as, as we're singing and as they are singing, that maybe you write in between those lines a particular prayer request that's true of your life, a need in your life. Something that, that God has opened in, up in your mind and heart during this sermon series about that particular line or that particular word or that particular truth. And maybe it's something that you really need. Lord, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us lord i need to eat and i need to be forgiven maybe it's just something that simple could be something deeper but but write your words into the words that jesus taught us to pray okay and then as they're singing and as you do that here's the symbolic action i'd like to challenge you to do two two different ways i'd like for you to think about your words our words not being the prevailing words of prayer but they're God's words, they're Christ's words that he taught us. And if you'd like this morning, as, as you write and, and, and kind of take a moment of honesty with God and you write, write down a words of maybe all of these lines or maybe just one of the lines, as we're singing a closing song, if you'd like to come kind of in a symbolic way and say, my words are not the important words, God's words are. My will, my way is not the important will or way, it's God's will. It's God's way that's important and helpful and meaningful and transforming. And so in a symbolic way of confessing that, I'd like to invite you to come and just stick it in the grooves of, this, of these boards here. Now, some of the grooves are bigger than others, but I've tested some. I, there's, there's grooves that it'll fit, just trust me. You may have to work for a minute. If you'd like to come and just in a symbolic way say, I want my prayers to be inserted into the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in the way that he taught us to pray, and I'm going to stick it in there in a public way, and here it goes. Or, here's another way. We have these prayer containers. Maybe we would think about these prayer containers as, as pools of prayer. And if this morning, if you'd like to just come and rather than putting it inside the grooves of the board, just Take your prayer card and put it in the pool of prayer there, a place where you know God receives and hears and takes it. At the end of the day, I, I believe Pastor Michelle will collect these both off the board and out of the pool, and we'll, the staff will spend some time praying this week. But prayer is not an intellectual exercise. It's a practical experience and commitment. And it's not just a piece or a part of the life that's folded into Christ but it's the way that we have conversation with the living God. 
It's an act of worship. It's a moment of being honest and real before the Lord so that we can sense His honesty and His realness, not just about our world, but about our life and faith in Him. And only as we talk to God do we open up our ears to hear from Him. Let's pray this morning and then we'll act. Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your Word and Your truth that always speaks words of encouragement and hope into us. Bless us this day, O Lord. Make us a people who aren't just knowledgeable or, or perhaps even experts on the topic of prayer, but make us a people who live with that request. Lord, teach us to pray. And may we respond in an affirm, affirmative way when you say, when you pray, Lord, let us be a people who when Christ makes the assumption that we will be praying, he would be found true and we would be found faithful. We ask these things in your name.